You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 65 of Take a Bow. I'm your host, Eli Tokash, and Oh my goodness, do we have so much to talk about this week. Um, As you know, last week, uh, maybe some of you don't, um, I wasn't able to talk about all the Broadway news that has happened last week because I was sharing stories about my Broadway news. And so um, this week, I'm just going to catch up on all of that to make sure um, everyone is kind of aware what's going on. And so there's a lot to talk about because it's kind of like two weeks worth, but I'll keep it short, I promise. Um, We'll get right into it and then we'll turn it over to the Drama Dictionary and then we'll turn it over to our wonderful guest, Jay Armstrong Johnson. So stay tuned for that. Um, before we get to it, let's talk about what's going on. So I don't know if everyone has heard the, uh, some of my, all of my previous episodes, but I did kind of make a, an educated guess, I guess you could say that West Side Story will not be returning to Broadway. I just thought it was a little fishy with everything going on. The politics between the shows, uh, when it was on Broadway, just wasn't good. Um, and then of course, when everyone was announced, they were opening and then they kind of were like a show in the dust that like kind of wasn't saying anything. I kind of figured that they weren't going to open and it had just come out, uh, uh, just last week or maybe this week even, uh, that it will in fact not be returning. So it's, it's sad because I kind of enjoyed this version of West Side Story. I did think it was something new. I think it was something modern, and I think it was something relatable. But I just think with, like, everything going on right now, and, of course, the West Side Story movie coming out, I just think it was it, – I think it's just too much. And I believe the producers felt the same and that there was no reason to reopen it and to continue um, paying all that money to produce the show. Um, it just didn't make sense. So West Side Story will not be returning. And it's one of the f- the few Broadway shows that has kind of said that they won't be returning while everyone else has been making announcements because the shows that really were closing kind of announced it during the whole pandemic, the during the the prime of the pandemic, I guess you could say. There has been some... Um, controversy going around the the Broadway world recently surrounding Broadway star Laura Osnes, who, I mean, was in Bandstand. She was a Disney princess in Cinderella. Uh, she's been in a bunch of Broadway shows, and she was accused of being fired from a show because she was refusing to get the COVID-19 vaccine. And apparently, that that's not the case she came out and and said that that wasn't the case I was never fired however I did quit because I'm still uncertain about the vaccine 
And I just think that it, this was very interesting. I mean, she's in a show with my dear friend, Tony Yazbek, who was in uh, Finding Neverland with me, and he was in On the Town with our guests today. Um, and he has a family, you know? Like, he has a family, and, you know, like all of these actors do. They go home, and they, well, they go to their job, and then they go home to their families, you know? And it's just there's too much of a risk to not get vaccinated and not have, be vaccinated and now equity is requiring these vaccinations for everybody for the safety of the cast and the cast's family as well as everyone else involved as far as the audience and things like that um however she still was like no I, i'm not doing it and i guess she she had stepped down she was going to do a show out in the hamptons with tony yazbek um but refuses to take the shot and like i said i found this very interesting because you know, as a theater actor, we, we've been out of work for, for two years now. And it's like, this vaccine requirement isn't going to go anywhere, I believe. I believe it's going to be around for another two years, you know, like that everyone's required. And eventually, it's going to be required for everyone. And it's not even going to be like, oh, let me see your vaccine. It's just going to be like one of those shots that we like have to get, like when we go to our doctors, you know. I don't know. That's me. But I just think it's very interesting because she's already been out of work for two years. And as a theater actor, it's like, how are you not going to work for another one to two years? Like that's going to be three, four five years without work. And she's also not going to be able to see a Broadway show. She's not even going to be able to see live theater anymore. She can't like go to a restaurant if she lives in New York. Like there's just all these things that's like kind of mind blowing to me that that um, she's just still sticking to her guns. But I don't know. There, I have mixed uh, mixed feelings on this, but I thought I had to to let everyone know because this is just such a big deal. I mean, with her being who she is, kind of refusing and kind of taking a stand and kind of, you know, like I said, refusing to take the vaccine is kind of like a big deal, especially with how things are now, you know, like, and everything is just, it, it seems like more and more lately, especially with this new Delta variant, that things are just more and more things are requiring the vaccine. So like our daily lives almost require the vaccine, especially here in New York. Uh, not everywhere, of course, but here in New York is extra careful, I guess you could say. Um, and so yeah, I just thought it was very interesting. And Laura Osnes, I mean, we'll, we'll look out for it. But hopefully, and hopefully she does change her mind. Because you know, like, I I don't know, like, you just can't go out of work with that long. And I personally believe that like, if you are someone who truly loves theater, and you're a theater person, and you work in the arts and whatnot, like, you, you just can't, you just can't go that long without seeing a Broadway show. And like, all your friends are going to support your other friends. And like, you're kind of like the odd man out. I don't know. It just seems very, um, very uh, surprising to me. And, uh, especially as someone who kind of was a fan of Laura Osnes. And I still, I still am a fan of her work, but like, it just, it was surprising. So uh, that, that, that we'll move on. We'll move on because there's, there's lots to, lots to think on that one. And it's still kind of registering with me, um, but I thought I would report it. So there's two sides of the story. One was saying that she's fired and then she had uh, talks with some other news sources and kind of came out and said, well, no, I, I actually quit because I'm still um, learning and taking some time to get every like to make sure I know the unknowns with the vaccine. And she was like, I still want time. 
And if I choose, like, it's my body, I can choose what I want to do with it. And that's totally respectable. So very interesting stuff happening. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure that, um, that will not be the only, the only case in reporting of that, but yes, that that's the story with Laura Osnes. And that was kind of some buzz going on around the Broadway world, uh, today and lately. Ben Platt, you all know my love for Ben Platt, okay? I love Ben Platt. I love his music so much. Uh, Sing to Me Instead was his debut album was literally like, it still like plays on repeat some days. I just get in those moods. Um, But he has a new album out called Reverie. And it's it's brilliant. Um, There's these songs that are so relatable, especially like, okay, so it's interesting because they are total like like he's totally going a, a pop route with his new with this album but these songs are so relatable as a theater kid so it's very it, there's like a dynamic of both that i i really that entices me almost to just continue to listen and continue to find new things every time i listen because you know, it's this pop style. And maybe that's not like everybody's favorite, especially in the theater world, you know, like we're used to like, the roots of being golden age and everything. And now pop is kind of going like, off the rails in a way, but this way, he does a beautiful job, like, just kind of incorporating both in so many ways, but also staying true to himself and his theater background and who he is as a person. Um, You know, he has these songs called like Childhood Bedroom, Happy to be Sad, I Want to Love You But I Don't, Dance With You, Dark Times, like all of these things are so, all of these songs are so relatable as someone who is a theater kid, who someone like in a way all theater kids have to mature really quickly and that was kind of something that he alluded to in finding who he was really quickly and trying to navigate all of these emotions without um i don't know it's hard to express it's hard to explain because he couldn't really like be expressive of himself because of you know he was still trying to figure out all these things and it was very new to him and he had to do it so young that he didn't even know what it was you know like he just thought it was like he just knew it wasn't like what everyone else around him was doing. And he talks a lot about it in his concerts and everything. Um, and you can really see that through his storytellings of this album. So I I really enjoy it. It's wonderful. You can, you literally like, that's one of the beautiful things about like artists. You really get to know someone um, through their songs. And I think just between his last album and this album but of how vastly different they are but at the same time they're still connected and they're still portraying similar stories and you really get to know who ben platt is and i just think it's beautiful you know i don't know i i'm such a i i could geek about ben platt all day long uh but yeah i it's it's wonderful if you haven't listened to it yet go listen to it just search up reverie or ben platt and something will come out and now he's going on tour and he's going to be at madison square garden and all these crazy places um and yeah he's just going to be doing another tour of this album and i i I just can't wait i am so excited for all of it i did a new topic um i did see um aretha franklin the musical uh, oh my god it wasn't a musical it was uh the story of aretha franklin it was like a docu movie um with my friends nikki torsha who created the 
uh, songs and like the beats and stuff that you hear on these episodes. And my dear friend, Alexa Nijak, um, we went to go see it and it had all of these Broadway stars in it. It had Audra McDonald. It had Jennifer Hudson. It had Titus Burgess. It had um, um, the young Aretha was one of the young Nala's and Lion King. Um, all, all of these wonderful people were in it and all of these wonderful theater actors were in it. And, and in a way you could see it, you know, and it wasn't because their acting was over the top or whatever these people say with theater actors and film uh, when they do film and stuff, but it was just their light. You could tell their joy of performing and their vocal, um, gifts uh you could just tell that they were a part of the theater and they were doing stuff on theater even if you didn't uh recognize them right away because some of them was like oh you know like I, I know who that is but i can't really put my finger on it and and then you're like oh my god that's brilliant what amazing casting um forrest whitaker uh yeah yeah forrest whitaker was in it um uh, all of these just incredible incredible actors this this cast is star-studded aretha franklin's story is just absolutely mind-blowing um i i did not know uh as much that i learned during the musical that i do now uh or the movie excuse me i keep saying musical because it just she she sang so many songs jennifer hudson um just because it was kind of like it, it was like Rocket Man for Elton John. It was kind of like Bohemian Rhapsody and like all of these all of these movies that has come out recently. And it was just her life and following her almost, um, and it just paid tribute to her. And I I just loved every second of it. It was it was quite long. It was two and a half hours, so it did feel like a musical, which is quite long for a movie. Um, but I have to say, there wasn't one time that I got bored and or was like checking my phone to see what time it was or doing whatever like. They they held you in it. That it was just there was so much to talk about that you it was it was that long and you were fully invested for the full two and a half hours. Um, it was awesome and it was my first time in a movie theater. Uh, after this, during yeah, after the two years and during all this COVID stuff. Um, so it was very it was very great. Uh, lots of I, I'm just like I said, you know, I can't get enough of this the music in my life again and kind of art to get to watch and there's just so much to catch up on and I'm so excited to be doing all of it I've just been trying to go through all of these like places and watch new things and uh of course you know I see a musical movie and I'm like that's the first movie I'm gonna see you know like I don't know I'm just that's just yeah that's just how it is lately and you know once once I got a t taste of it I I haven't been able to stop so with that being said, let's talk about some real Broadway news. As um, last week, casts really began to roll out for a lot of these musicals. And I'm going to share with you um, a lot, uh, some of the main, mainly the main casts, um, because the ensemble, I just don't have time to, to say everyone. Um, otherwise, this podcast is going to be super long. So I'm just going to highlight some of the, the actors um, going to be in these new musicals. And I'll specify which musicals I talk about first. So um, first, I'm going to talk about MJ, the Michael Jackson musical, which previews begin December 6th and opening night is February 1st, which is quite a long time for previews. It's about two months. Wow. Um, so Miles Frost is has been announced to play Michael Jackson, but his supporting cast and the uh, other 
wonderful, talented people in this cast has been uh, casted around him as well. So Antoine L. Smith is playing Barry Gordy slash Nick. Quentin Earl Darrington as Joseph Jackson slash Rob. Whitney Basher as Rachel. Gabriel Ruse as Alejandro. Joey Sorge as Dave. John Edwards as Jackie Jackson. Ayana George as Catherine Jackson. Um, Apollo Levine as Quincy Jones slash Tito Jackson. Tavon Olds Sample as Michael. Lamont Walker II as Jermaine Jackson. And Zeleg Williams as Marlon Jackson. Wow. Okay. This cast is incredible i am first of all when i when i am um naming these casts and i'm saying all of their names i do apologize if i say pronounce anybody's names wrong um and if i come kind of stumble through names aren't really my thing um but i i do want to announce it because i just think um a lot of especially with this show a lot of them have are having broadway debuts it's kind of like their breakouts as far as like you know their, it's their first time leading a show and whatnot. So it, there's just a lot of very exciting things uh, surrounding this cast, and I think that it's going to be brilliant. And I hope to have a lot of these um, performers on because they're all it, – It's it, this is kind of like an interesting show that I really want to talk about with Michael Jackson because just – his story and everything surrounding him with the Neverland documentary and everything. I, I do, I do want to talk about how they're, how they're going to do this musical and kind of um, pay tribute to him, but like more so his art um, and maybe not so much him as a person. I, I don't know. I just wonder how it's going to all go down. Casts have been coming out recently uh, surrounding, you know, um, Broadway obviously is coming back. So casts are rolling out recently with Hades Town, Aladdin, Lion King, Michael Jackson, and of course Waitress. Um, the, the, so all these casts have been coming out the past like week and a half. And I kind of wanted to share them with you because there's a lot of familiar faces returning to shows, which is very exciting. Michael James Scott is going to be returning to Aladdin as the genie. Don Daryl Rivera is going to be Iago again in Aladdin. Jonathan Freeman will be reprising his role as Jafar. J.C. Montgomery as Sultan. Um, there's a lot of a, a lot of fresh, uh, f- familiar faces in Aladdin, which is very exciting. Same with Hades Town, Reef Carney, Eva Noblezada, Andre De Shields, Amber Gray um, are going to be in are going to be returning to Hades Town as well as Patrick Page, but uh, not until November 2nd. And for the month that uh, Patrick Page is going to be missing from September 2nd when they open to November 1st, Tom Hewitt, a friend of mine who is in Finding Neverland, will be re- uh, will be stepping into his place as Hades from for that month, which is very exciting. And um, a little bit of their cast is going to be changed because some of them are going on tour with the show and in uh some leading roles so that's very exciting for them um uh, and let's see uh tina turner daniel j watts adrian warren don lewis um they are all returning a lot of the the company is still the same jessica rush who also has a podcast on the broadway podcast network is going to be returning let's talk about waitress oh my goodness um, oh wait, I think I already talked about this. I already talked about waitress in last week's episode, so never mind. We don't have to talk about waitress, but I do want to talk about waitress at the same time because I was thinking the other day, waitress has the best opening number for Broadway's return. Like I, in a way, like I wish that everyone, like they could live stream and everyone can witness just that number. 
for the first time back, you know, because it's literally called opening up. So like, what what is better than that? You'll get right into the mood of things when you hear that song. And I just think that that is going to be the longest applause and the longest wait uh, in between a number that Broadway is going to be having to do um, when all these shows returns. I think that'll be the longest hold. And um, just just because they're talking about opening up, letting the day in, and then um, we'll say hello, how you been? And it's like looking around and it's like, oh my God, it's like magical, right? And I don't know. I just hope, I just hope, I get to be there for one of those important shows where it's like, you know, you have such a long hold. You got uh, so many of the original cast back. You got Sarah Bareilles back in it. Um, all of these things. So, yeah, that that's my tangent um, of just the Broadway shows opening back up. A uh, little taste of Broadway again. I just think it's. I think it's just going to be magical. I'm so excited for all of it. There's one show right now, and I have to say, I'm already feeling the Broadway is back. But there's so much more to come back. And I'm so excited. Like, I, I still, like, feel like it's so far away. But also, it's, like, kind of, like, right here. It's really, like, two weeks away if we really think about it. Which is just so exciting. And, um, I, yeah, I just get more and more excited every day. So, that's my little tangent about casts coming back and Broadway reopening. Enough about that. Let's turn it over to the Drama Dictionary. And um, this week's Drama Dictionary Word of the Week is going to be um, something that was sent in from a listener. Thanks, Pat McNamara. So if you ever have any questions as far as um, you you may not know what uh, something means, please, please, please feel free to reach out and I will explain it on an episode of the podcast. Um, This week, we had a, a listener reach out and ask, can you clarify kind of what a uh, 29 hour reading is? And a 29 hour reading is something that we talk a lot about on the podcast. So I do apologize um, for not making it clear enough. However, um, it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. A 29 hour reading is a 29 hour reading. And that you have 29 hours of work, basically, to figure out your show in, in a lot of ways. Um, it's basically, you know, the writers, the directors, um, the producers, everyone, all the creative team, uh, comes in with their piece that they've been working on for the past seven years. And usually it's like one of the first times that they actually put pieces and voices and faces and everything all together. And they really get to hear it aloud for one of the first times by professional actors. Um, and then as this happens, it's like, oh, well, now hearing this aloud and hearing how actors are taking this line or this song or this this moment and whatever, uh, whatever it may be, it's like, oh, that needs to be, th- there's something more there or that me- needs to be written. Um, 
sorry, rewritten, not written because it was already written. Um, but that needs to be rewritten. That needs to be fixed. That needs to do this. And then it's just kind of perfecting their piece um, before they make it to a Broadway stage. Because as you know, these previews usually only last for about three weeks. Because as you know, these previews do not last very long. They are only about three weeks to a month is kind of the average um, or kind of the expectation, I guess you could say. And those are mostly focused on technique and spacing and blocking issues and lighting and set pieces. Um, it's not so much about the work. So the work needs to be put in place and pretty solid before you even enter the theater. Um, and so that that is uh, kind of the goal of the 29-hour reading, just to make sure that, you know, as they continue to rewrite and as they continue to ch make changes, just to make sure they put it in front of whoever it may be, especially with the cast of kids, it's like, oh, I'm an adult writing this for kids and I want to see how this is going to be taken um, at, from a kid's perspective. And as a kid portraying it, um, it, it just it is it's a way of them to really, really see what they have on their paper as they have been writing this for the past however many however many years and however many hours it's been taking them. And it's just a it's just a safe space it's highly confidential um, of the projects until, of course, after it opens and after it makes it or if it does make it. Um, the Greatest Showman readings were all 29 hours, and we talk a lot about that and just how, oh, these songs weren't in it, and oh, this these lines were different, and oh, this person had a bigger role, and then something happened, and it just couldn't make it work, and it didn't make sense or whatever. Um, and it, it's exactly that. It's just the it allows the uh, writers and the producers and the director, it allows everyone in the creative team to really um, get to know their work and how it's being taken from people who are going to be portraying it because then that's how it's going to be taken uh, from the audience members and the people that go go support this this piece of art uh, that they have created. So it, it like I said, it's just a safe space to kind of um, – you know, figure out what you've got. And it it's called 29 hours because you only have 29 hours of work and they're allowed to, so it, it doesn't limit them to like, oh, two days or oh, three days. You can do a 29 hour reading over the course of a month. You can do it over a course of the week. You can do it over a course of like five days, like Monday through Friday or Monday through Thursday. Cause then you want to rest up for your, or it's like Monday through Friday, and then you have Wednesday off because it's a two show day, and like all of these things. So there's just a lot of there's a lot of things that go into it. But you are agreeing as a actor and as a producer and whatever that you are will be in a room for 29 hours, and that's kind of the limit that equity gives you. Um, so yeah. That's this week's Drama Dictionary Word of the Week. I hope that helps. Um, I, I could elaborate on it more. I, you know me. I could go on tangents forever. But that's not what I'm going to do because we're already uh, far enough into the episode where I think we're all wanting to hear from our fabulous guest, J.A. Johnson, or J. Armstrong Johnson, of course, who has so many exciting things coming out, and we talked about all of it. So um, I'm very excited for you all to listen to this week's episode. We also talk about some of his favorite roles, um, such as On the Town. We also talk about um, Phantom of the Opera. We also talk about I Put a Spell on You and his 54 Below concert coming up. And of course, his Broadway debut and so many more exciting things. So this episode is really great. I think you all love it. Um, 
Jay Armstrong Johnson says so many valuable things and so many life lessons. So I can't thank Jay enough for coming on the podcast and let's turn it over to him, shall we? Jay Armstrong Johnson, curtain up. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Today, you folks get to hear from a Broadway veteran of six Broadway shows and a multi-award nominated actor, most known for his performances most recently in On the Town and Phantom of the Opera. Coming up, you can celebrate his birthday with him at 54 Below on September 1st. So everyone, welcome to Take a Bow, Jay Armstrong Johnson. Hey, Eli. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited for you to be here. There's so many exciting things to talk about, not just your upcoming 54 Below show, but... Your entire resume, come on, six Broadway shows, as you should. Um, the way I usually like to start these off is kind of asking my guests why we're here. Like, what got us into theater and, like, what was that just trigger moment for you that was, like, that's what I want to do in my life? Yeah, I mean, I remember thinking early on that I wanted to be a performer, um, mm. singing in church was kind of the first time I really started singing in front of, like, what you would call an audience or a congregation. So that was kind of like my foray into performing, even though it was a religious setting. Um, uh-huh. And I remember being super excited about the like fifth grade play that Mr. Ingram's English class would put on. They'd put on a very abridged production of Romeo and Juliet every year. And so I remember as a third and fourth grader being really excited about getting into the fifth grade so I could pop like possibly play Romeo and Romeo mm-hmm. and Juliet. Um, and then uh, my sister played Juliet the year before me. And so I was like, okay, I've got to get Romeo. So I like wrote Mr. Ingram, like a letter. And I was like, please consider me for the role of Romeo. Like, and what fourth grade, what like fifth grade boy in Texas and like the the late nineties was like, begging to wear white tights and recite Shakespeare (laughs) in their cafetorium. You know what I mean? Oh my God. So, but I think what, um, what solidified it for me was when I did my first like, um, production, like with, uh, with like a community theater, I, I did this community theater program called Kids Who Care Musical Theater. Um, and oh. my friends at church who I sang in the choir with invited me to this theater to audition. Um, cause they were like, Hey, you can sing, like, you'll probably like this 
show, this theater company. So I auditioned for A Midsummer Night's Dream, The Rock Musical. Yes. Um, And I remember I got cast as one of the three pucks, me and two other actors. We were like, I don't know, eight, 10 and 12 (laughs) or something like that. We we were like a three-headed puck. Um, oh my god! And I remember, I, <laughs> I remember walking on the stage for the first day of tech rehearsals and feeling completely transformed. Like the lights yes. that were created by my friend Chad Jung, um, the set that was created by Bob Lavalley. I mean, like I was, uh, I was in a different world. Um, right. And I just remember thinking, like, I have to chase this feeling for the rest of my life. Yeah, I mean, is there a lot? Like you said, you're from Texas. Is there a lot of theater involved? Like, is that something that's like? kind of big out there yeah it's I mean I always thought that I kind of grew up in like a small town um, right. I've come to realize that like Fort Worth is actually like the 10th or 11th largest city in the country <laughs> oh <laughs> but I kind of grew up between like cow pastures and like downtown big city so right. it, it feels like um it feels like a small town in certain regards but yeah I Theater is huge and from yeah. where I'm from. Dallas-Fort Worth in general has so much culture, so much yeah. theater. I mean, I think rodeos are pretty theatrical and like, right. <laughs> how they present to the world, you know? So th- theater has always been kind of there. Um, totally. There's always been this contingency of like weirdo um, progressive artists in that world um, that kind of help battle those other conservative right right that's okay though um what ignited like your move to new york like what did you go come for college what was it yeah i when i knew that like theater was my thing and that like Uh when i when i kept getting validation from teachers or from people that were seeing shows to tell me like oh you could do this like you should do this you should pursue it I just knew that like New York city is where to go and that's where Broadway is. And so I kind of made a promise to myself and all my best friends that like did theater, like we were all going to go to NYU together and we were all going to study musical theater. And like, we were going to move to the big city as soon as we graduated high school. Um, And so I just did it. Um, I, I didn't apply to any other colleges, but NYU. And I said that if I didn't get in, that I would just move to New York to try to just make it happen for myself. So I had a really specific vision of where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And I was hell bent on making it happen. Um, and so I, I did get into NYU, which is lovely. <laughs> incredible. Um, but yeah, that was kind of how I made that choice. It was like you manifested it. I mean, like, this is like, this was it or it's nothing. <laughs> I love that, though. Good for you. That's incredible. And now here you are. I mean, it's worked out, right? You mean, here we are, six Broadway shows. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Um, so most recently, you were uh, seen on Broadway as Raul in the historic run of Phantom of the Opera. What did it mean to you to be in, like, I mean, it's the longest running Broadway show in history. Like, what was it like to be in the most historic show on Broadway? I mean, it was it was truly wild. I, my friend Mary Michael Patterson had played Christine for a few years, and I remember seeing the show for the first time with her in the lead and just, like, crying the whole time. And I remember thinking very specifically as I watched that show, like, well, that'll be that'll be a show I never do in my lifetime. I, I never <laughs> saw myself in those roles in that world. So when the opportunity presented itself, it was... It was way more for me um, about what it meant to continue this like relationship with Hal Prince, um, right? 
because I, I had done Candide at um, New York City Opera with Hal. Um, and so he became a mentor of mine and kind of folded me into his family. And I would go over to their house and I would have dinners with them and he would give me advice. And, you know, he just became this like grandfather figure to me, which is like, wow. to think about it now, it's like, how the, how the hell did Hal Prince become right. like, one of your mentors? <laughs> you yeah, know? that's incredible. So uh, when I got Phantom, it was because of Hal. Um, uh-huh. I had reached out to him because I had found myself unemployed and a little nervous about my career and not sure if I could pay rent. And so he kind of um, gave me some advice. And also in the, at that time, they were looking for a replacement for Ralph. So he said, you might be too young, but I'll see what I can do. I'll make a couple of phone calls. And a day later, I was auditioning for Phantom of the Opera. And I had like three different callbacks. And um, he really advocated for me and then there I was with my next Broadway oh my show I was able to pay rent and yes. co-signed me you know so, <laughs> I mean, so you know it, it was special in that way because I got to continue that relationship for sure oh, that's incredible what a story that's so cool it's interesting you going back to saying that like that was that was a role that you kind of never saw yourself doing in Phantom and everything because a lot of your roles like They've been like dance heavy shows, you know, like, do you kind of like, like, what do you consider your strongest suit? Um, I, oh God, I like to consider my strongest suit just storytelling in general. Uh-huh. Um, Cause I, I studied dance so darn hard in high school and I studied voice so darn hard in college. Um, but I've always had this knack for what it meant to actually tell a story. I remember watching older actors when I was a young kid being like seeing who I liked and kind of gleaning from them what it means to be a good actor and how to tell a good story. So I, I don't know. I, um, cause I love all three singing and dancing and acting like so, so, right. so much. Um, and it's been my kind of goal throughout my career to never put myself in a box. I never, wanted anyone to be able to typecast me or put me in a position where I'm playing the same role over and over and over again. Um, right. So that, so I, that was another thing that I like manifested, like um, the, like I, I want to do this dance show, but then I want to go over here and do this opera, but then I want to come over here and do this like bit comedy roll off Broadway. And then I want to go here and do this television show where I play a rocket scientist. Like <laughs> we, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, I'm, totally. Every choice I've made along the way, I've wanted to be completely different from all the choices I've made before. And the business, I mean, the industry has like gotten on board with right. it in a, in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like when you look at your resume, it's like, what, like this is probably like one of the most dynamic resumes like anyone has in the industry. It's so like, it's, yeah, it varies from so many different things. I mean, you literally made it on Broadway, you've made it in television, you've made it like all over the place and opera as well. Like you were doing opera at, um, what was it? You did some opera at Lincoln Center, not Lincoln Center. There was, oh, I mean, Sweeney Todd was technically like a musical theater opera, you know? Right. And I was looking at, like, do you have, like, an operatic background? Or, like, is that something you've been interested in? 
Well, because I studied dance so hard in high school, I was a dance major at my performing arts high school. And then I would go and I would train at my dance studio every night. So I was, dance was like my world in high school. Okay. And it was kind of the way that I kind of got my foot in the door in the industry. Cause I was a, a young boy in Texas who could dance. And so that's how I kind of started getting professional roles as a young person in Texas. Cause there weren't right. boys who was, no one was going to, you know, there weren't many boys that could twirl <laughs> in Texas. Right. Um, without having the fear of getting the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> but um, but so I, I made the distinct decision that college, I really wanted to work on my voice, that I really wanted to play leading roles. And so mm-hmm. if I had all this dance training in high school that I really needed to focus on what it meant to good, good vocal technique, because I, sure. I, I, like, pe- I have a musical family, people sing in my family, but I never studied like voice i never like really studied with a voice teacher or like learned Mm -hmm. the technique of what it was to sing so that was why i chose to go to a vocal performance program for college as opposed to like a bfa program so i could really hone in on that yeah that's awesome and so a lot of that yeah i mean that was like one of like the things that i kind of found because like it's interesting when you when you do study voice like at such a young age you then like build the muscle memories i mean it's just like that's what you do like you're learning something and you build these muscle memories and then your voice changes and then you have to relearn it all again and then it takes like even longer to learn it again you know like you you know i don't i mean i'm preaching to the choir but like it's it's good that like that's like when you like started to like really hone in and focus on it like it was like a good timing it was a good choice that's awesome um and then let let's talk about okay this is my favorite thing ever um i saw you in on the town okay and obviously you played chip and on the town for those of you who don't know um how how long were you with the show Did, were you in it from like the beginning processes like out of town and whatnot yeah um i was actually doing hands on a hard body um on broadway and we got the news that like we weren't selling very well and that we're going to have to close down. So my first audition after finding out that hard body was closing was on the town at Barrington stage company. And so it was pretty devastated. I was pretty devastated to like lose my first role on Broadway. I'd been understudying up to that point. And this was a show about Texans, you know, Mm -hmm. it was this love letter to Texas and it like took place and, two and a half hours away from where I grew up. So this, this show was so near and dear to my heart. So for it to be coming to a close, <clears throat> excuse me, so soon um, was pretty devastating to me. So I kind of went into this audition for On the Town at Barrington Stage Company with my head kind of low and like sad that my Broadway show was <laughs> going to be a thing of the past. So, you know, I, um, and it was a summer stock production, you know, it was supposed to be three months of employment somewhere in, Massachusetts. So it was just, you know, I was an actor. I was about to be out of work. I needed work. I needed money. Mm -hmm. So I went off and I did that thing. Um, But when I got to Massachusetts, I realized like, oh, John Rando, who won a Tony for Year in Town, is directing this thing. Josh Bergost, who (laughs) had fame from So You Think You Could Dance, is choreographing this thing. Alicia Umphress, Elizabeth Stanley, Tony Yazbeck, Clyde Alves, like all of these like major heavy hitting players in the theater world were all converging on this like tiny town in Massachusetts. Right. And I remember looking at Alicia and being like, this this could go to Broadway. And she literally laughed in my face. Like oh my actually God. laughed at me because, you know, 
there's always this when you do summer stock or when you do like an out of town show there's always like buzz that it could go to broadway and it's never the reality mm-hmm. so I, I had this premonition that like i don't know this feels right and real and exciting so i was with it from the beginning to make a long story short or to make a long story longer rather yeah, yeah <laughs> we started it in massachusetts and we brought barrington stage company out of the red um, they were, you know, kind of in the red financially, and our show literally brought them out, and everyone from New York started coming to Massachusetts to see the show, and then a year and a half later, after a bunch of workshops and dance labs, we found ourselves on Broadway at the Lyric Theater, and I had my first leading role. It was wild. Oh, I love that. Oh, my God. What? That's so cool. I didn't realize that, like... I mean, I guess, like, the out-of-town tryout wasn't really, like, it meant to be an out-of-town tryout in a way. It really, but, yeah, it wasn't. It was a summer stock gig, you know? Yeah, that that's insane to me because, like, when you go and see the show and it just, like, talks about New York, like, it's, like, it's right. as if it's, like, destined to be in New York, you know? It's, like, yeah. a show for New Yorkers and, of course, it's supposed to be on Broadway. That's insane. I love that so much. Um, <laughs> how much did, like... I mean, was there a lot of changes from the the Massachusetts version to then when it came to Broadway? Like, like was your song always in it? Yeah, um, my song was always in it. I think the major changes from Massachusetts to Broadway were that we cut a lot of the dance sequences for Massachusetts because oh. our rehearsal process just wasn't that long to kind of do these extended ballet sequences. Oh. So we cut down those a bit. So those were re-implemented for Broadway. And then we actually brought on um, a, a script doctor. So we got um, we got some permission from, um, I guess it was the Bernstein estate, um, and maybe who have to like actually go in and massage the script a bit and update it a little bit and add some like more jokes that were relevant, uh, a bit more yeah relevant, yeah. contemporary. Because a lot of those jokes that were written back in the forties, you know, <laughs> they kind of go over our all of everyone's heads because sure. they were so niche. Um, so yeah, those were the major changes is the re-implementation of the ballet sequences and then a little bit of script doctoring. Um, yeah, that was, that was it. Oh my God. Talk to me about come up to my place because that's literally like one of the most, I, like you go see the show and that's like definitely one of the songs that like sticks with you. I don't know like what it is. It's like the simplicity of the choreography or the taxi cab, the way it's done. Like, just tell me everything about it. I'm obsessed with that. Well, that was fully John Rando's genius. He mm-hmm. had this vision of this one little bench. Uh, and when we did it at Barrington Stage Company, it was literally like the back seat of like a van that like they oh. put on still. Like that was what we like rehearsed on. So it really, the choreography, all of the beats, all of the moments, like they're really John Rando's. It was his idea to have that lever that I like was laying down on that made me look like I was flying off the side of the cab. I mean, it really was, right. it was his baby, that little, that moment. So I, you know, I, I love physical comedy. I've always done physical comedy. I'm a dancer. So yeah. I, I, I loved that I could put my own spin on it, but it really was John Rando that just had this vision, this idea of how it could be executed. Oh my God. That's insane. Yeah. The way that you guys are able to, like, it was all like comedic timing, honestly. Like you yeah. guys, you, you could tell, like, like you said, like every beat was mastered. Like every, sure. you had everything and like kudos to both of you, but also to John Rando. I mean, he, he's, oh. he's brilliant. I mean, he's genius. He, yeah. 
he he did a christmas story he directed me in a christmas story Uh, yes oh my and of course tony yazbek was in finding neverland with me and so like it's like full circle moment i just i appreciate on the town for all the right reasons (laughs) and now of course you um yeah so wait okay i want to talk to you about newsies okay because like i look at you right and I just see Jack Kelly. I don't know, like, what it is, but, like, you are, like, the perfect Jack Kelly, and you were able to do it at the Muni. Talk to me about, like, that experience and what that, like, role is. Ugh. I mean, I've loved the Newsies movie since I was a kid, mm. and so when I when I heard it was coming to Broadway, I was like, oh, God, I really want this, I really want this. So I think when they did their very last reading production, like, um, workshop of the show before it went to paper mill. Um, oh. I played Jack Kelly in that reading. I'm pretty oh sure it was God. because Jeremy Jordan was off shooting some movie or some television show. So I was probably just a placeholder, but oh. I did that final workshop before paper mill. So I got excited about the prospect of playing it on Broadway back then. Yes. And then when it was going to Broadway after paper mill, Jeremy was doing um bonnie and clyde on broadway and so it's like oh good jeremy's in bonnie and clyde (laughs) this is my chance right so yeah then i believe i believe i could be making this up just for hype for just for like storytelling purposes but i'm pretty sure this is what happened i think the day of my final callback for newsies was when they announced that bonnie and clyde was no longer going to be running on broadway and so i like sank and i remember walking in for my final callback for newsies on broadway and them just like checking out like I could tell that the whole room wasn't really looking at me for the possibility of playing you know so it's like oh there well there goes that dream so (laughs) so when the Muni launched their season what was that three or four years ago now um I became really good friends with the artistic director at the Muni and I literally just sent him a text message and I was like Mike if you haven't found your Jack Kelly I just want to throw my hat in the ring. I will come in for an audition for you. I've wanted to play this role. I got so close to Broadway. Let me know. Um, peace and love, J. Armstrong Johnson. And he just texted me back and said, it's yours. It was like that. Oh, my God. <clears throat> it was that easy. Um, wow. So, so that was a lesson that I learned. Like, you know, ask for what you want. <laughs> yes. Um, but it was super fun because I remember Chris, the director, choreographer, um, I told him on the first day, it was like, I'm a dancer, so utilize me in dance sequences. I know that that's not usually what happened in the Broadway show. Um, Jack like would exit stage right before all the major dance sequences, but I was like, <laughs> I'm not as good as a Ryan Steele or as a Chris Rice or, or uh, sorry, as, as a Clay Thompson, you know, right. I was like, but I know that I could do some sequences, so please utilize me in that way. And he did. So I was probably the first Jack Kelly to actually be able to do some of the major dance sequences and like lead the newsies in that regard. But oh my that, god, I love that dang show so much. Oh my god, it's so freaking good. It's just <laughs> like one of the most iconic shows. Oh, oh my god, but it's not also, but it's also not like the most like normal show, you know, like especially with that like role of Jack Kelly and the fact that you had were like implemented in all of the dance sequences and everything, like it's gotta be vocally, physically, emotionally, like mentally, like it's gotta be so demanding on you. Like, did you ha- did you notice yourself like preparing for that show differently than like the other shows that you've been in? Yeah, I 
I remember working out a lot. Like I would actually yeah. go to the gym every morning before rehearsals to really get my stamina up. Um, and Santa Fe is probably one of the harder songs that I've ever had to do on stage. The coolest right. thing about the Muni is it has hot as balls outside. And so like, <laughs> you like just to get from your dressing room to the stage is your warm up, you know, <laughs> so you're auto, you're already sweating, <laughs> right. you know, it's, and then you're doing like the big fight scene right before Santa Fe. So like my breath and my blood adrenaline. were flowing and going. Yeah. So yeah. And the adrenaline was up there and I had to like climb a bunch of ladders. I mean, that set was huge. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know because I had done the reading of it like whatever six years prior to that I, I still had the words in my body mm -hmm. i still had the dialect in my body so it was kind of just revisiting an old friend um and doing it in 98 degree weather <laughs> oh, i love that wait 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 speaking of revisiting an old friend you did uh, a chorus line on tour and then you did it on at encores so, yeah. but you played two different roles, but you played two different roles, which I think is very, very cool. Um, talk to me about that experience because you were, you went from Mark to Robbie, right? Yeah, Mark to Bobby. <laughs> Bobby. Oh my God. What am I doing? Yes. No, you're good. You're good. But yeah, um, I got my equity card doing a chorus line at like the theater company that I grew up with back home in Texas. So that was the first time that I did it and I played Mark. And so I got my equity card at age 18. And so then when I moved to New York um, to go to school at NYU, mm -hmm. a chorus line was happening on Broadway. So I was skipping classes on a regular basis to go to open calls for a chorus line. Like it was, sure. kind, it was kind of my intention to drop out of school once I got here. <laughs> That's why I just wanted to get to New York so I could go on Broadway auditions, right? So... For a year and a half, I was auditioning for a chorus line Broadway replacements, and I never got cast because my friend Paul McGill, who was playing Mark on Broadway, didn't want to leave his role, which I totally get. So when the first national tour came around, I auditioned for that, and then finally they cast me my junior year of college, and I dropped out of school and never looked back. So Yes. <laughs> and, that, and that was 10 years prior to the one at City Center. So right. when, By when By Orkley and our late great Bob Avian um, asked me to do the city centers production. It had literally been a decade since I'd done a chorus line. So for for them to come and ask me to play Bobby, which was one of the older people on the line, as opposed to when I played Mark, who's one of the younger people on the line, it was, it was just a really cool way to revisit an old friend and see old friends. I mean, it was Bob and by York that put it up on tour and then they were putting it up at city center and I got to see Robin Herter again and, um, yeah. and Denny Lambert, like there, and Anthony Wayne, like there were these, these friends that I met on tour that also converged on the city center production. So it was, it was dreamy. And it was also really nice to only do it for a week. Yes, <laughs> right. That's right. So, that's a hard show. <laughs> oh my God. I can't imagine. But so like, Another cool thing about that was just like it was an anniversary like kind of celebration, right? For chorus line. Right. So like not only are you like performing at City Center, which is like historic in itself, it was also like celebrating their anniversary. Like I don't know, like did you feel like an added pressure, or, like an added like, oh my god, this is like amazing? Like was there anything like heightened, I guess, for this compared to the tour? Yeah, I I don't know. I, I mean, I was 10 years older. And so there was a bit more of like some like wisdom about what it means to be a performer and how to prepare mm. for a show that I didn't have when I was 
19, 20 years old. Um, right. But I was also doing Phantom of the Opera at the time. They allowed me to take a few weeks off to go do this. I was also producing my Halloween show at the time. So I was essentially doing three different things all at once. And so right. I didn't really have time to think. I just had to go to the next place, do my job, and then go to the next place, right? So um, I didn't think too hard about it. I was just happy to be doing it, um, to be dancing that show again, to be doing it in such an iconic venue, to be playing a role that I just loved when right. uh, for so long. You know, I remember being Mark at the end of the line and watching Bobby's monologue and being like, I'm going to do that one day. <laughs> yes. Then, you know, manifestation, man, manifest, manifest. <laughs> I love that. Literally, like, this is so funny how many full circle moments that you've had. Like, of just being, yeah, like, it's just like right time, right place, right time. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be shy. Your Halloween show that, like, <laughs> kind of was just, like, brushed over. Um <laughs> You like created and starred in a show that called I Put a Love I Put a Spell on You and it benefited Broadway Cares Equity Fights Aid, which raised so much money. Um I talk to me about this. You don't have to be shy. Uh-uh. That's not what this I, is about. <laughs> I mean, Hocus Pocus is my favorite movie of all time. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not gonna pretend like it's not. I am a queer little boy and Halloween is my favorite time of year. And so uh I remember as a kid being like, I will be Winifred for Halloween one year, but I can't half-ass it. So when when I got my television show, I had like some money in the bank. And like I was like, well, what am I going to do with this money? Uh, I want to start producing my own things. And so I had done a solo show at 54 Below that I turned into a live album. And we were uh-huh. going to do an album release concert. And the album release concert was happening in the fall. And so I was like, what if we did a Halloween album release concert? What if I did it as Winifred Sanderson? So I just like started dreaming and like brought my friend DW on to like do some costumes and brought my friend Katie Beatty on to do wigs. And so we just put together this like CD release Halloween concert and essentially did all the songs from my album dressed as the Sanderson sisters. So that was kind of, that was the seed of it. And then when I realized that we had the costumes and we had the wigs and I was like, well, we should just keep doing this. We should just make this an annual event. And so that's when I started dreaming, like, I hope we can maybe make this a bigger event at like a larger venue and like maybe make it a benefit for Broadway Cares because around that time I started doing Broadway Backwards and I started doing Broadway Bears. And so I was doing a lot of stuff a lot of events with Broadway cares and falling in love with their mission and with uh, their, their whole uh, business, um, their whole organization sure. rather. Um, so that was another thing that I manifested is like, I'm Broadway cares is going to come on board. Broadway cares is going to come on board. And they finally did last year when the pandemic kind of hit us. Um, and we had to take our live cabaret show that we'd started doing at Le Poisson Rouge downtown in the mm-hmm. West village and translate it into like a virtual, a visual album. But yeah, it was, it's been a wild ride and we're already starting to figure out what the hell we're going to do this year. (laughs) Oh my God. It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm so excited for it because, okay, so many questions here. So I guess I'll start off with, like, I mean, you talked about just it was going from a live concert then to a virtual concert. Like, what were some of the obstacles that you kind of had to face with the whole COVID protocols? I mean, obviously, you made it virtual, but, like, how did it work? Yeah, I mean, when I saw things starting to go virtual during the pandemic, um, uh, at first I was like, oh, well, Halloween's not happening this year, whatever, it's fine. And then, like, I sat on it for a second, and then I realized that, phase four of New York reopening was allowing television and film production again. And so Uh I just kept seeing these things and it kept pointing me in that direction. And I remember thinking one night, like, Oh my God, what are you about to do? (laughs) But we did it. And uh, I mean, we, everyone on the producing team had to go to COVID compliance officer training. Like we, we got, um, PPE donated. We really like followed protocol and set. Everyone was wearing N95s. Um, and everyone that, that was asked to do the project, you know, they had been sitting on their butts for six months, not doing anything, regardless of whether they were an actor or whether they were a director of photography or whether they were a costume designer or, you know, everyone was like, okay, Broadway cares. Yeah, let's go. And uh, 150 some odd artists came on board to help pull this thing off and right. everyone showed up with their a game and what what was once just kind of like this like idea that i had was truly coming to fruition in this like beautiful way and i was just allowing artists to come in and work i was just like hey you want to do this thing <laughs> and i'd give them a suggestion and then they would take my suggestion and make something even better like out of it yes. i don't know it was it was wild the way it all came together and it was um i don't know some it's some of the hardest work i've ever done some of the longest hours i've ever worked but I'm also sure. some of the most rewarding for sure would do you know if it's going to be like virtual or live this year like we, or is that we're we're still teetering uh-huh. um we have a location scout um happening today actually like right after i get off this interview i'm oh. going to look at a location with Katie Rosen and Danny Marin, oh my, my associate God. producers. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, Cause right now with the Delta variant and mm-hmm. with like indoor theater with, you know, their mask mandates and it's a Halloween party. And a lot of what the show is kind of the live show really is based around like the specialty cocktail. And so it's really trying to get the audience to drink the specialty cocktail, the whole show. And so <laughs> if there are mask mandates and like, maybe you can't drink while watching the show, it's, it's feeling like, Oh God, the, like this, the social party 
dark and dirty underground club nature of what the show is when it's live doesn't feel like something we can really pull off with COVID still kind of looming. Right. Um, It's, it's, you know, the fall is kind of like flu season and like scientists are expecting like kind of a big wave of COVID to happen in the fall. So I don't want to be working toward a live show and then have it shut down or, maybe trying to get an outdoor venue, but having it rained out. Like I'm so, oh I'm goodness. so at odds with myself yeah. <laughs> as a producer right now. Like, I don't know what decision to make. Um, right. But we're also kind of behind where we were last year in terms of what it means to do a virtual event. So it's, do we rehash what we did last year? Do we do, do we shoot a couple of new music videos and kind of edit them in? Like, so it, pray for me is what I'm saying. Because yes. <laughs> um, there's I mean, so many unknowns right now. Right. I mean, just you talking about this kind of was like, oh my god, like, <laughs> I get a little anxiety there. Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I guess you just don't think about it until you're in that situation. It, like, from an outsider's perspective, it's like, oh, that's easy, you know. Like, yeah. but it's easier said than done. It's insane. Yeah, I've, I've really appreciated what the pandemic gave to me as an artist because I really did start it. I started like thinking like a producer and thinking like a writer. So sure. the time that I had to spend inside doing administrative work or doing like writing work has been um, exciting and scary. And I want to do more of that. I mean, you know, I studied dance, I studied voice, I studied acting like I did, all, but now I'm studying what's happening behind the scenes. And it's really helping me understand what it's like to be in front of the scenes. And, you know, I'm just trying to understand our world from all angles these days, which is new and fun. Yeah, that's, I I love that. I see, like, that's exactly, like, my thought process. I see a lot of, like, similarities between us. I'm like, wow, I really like you. (laughs) (laughs) The feeling's mutual, Eli. Thank you, thank you. I know, I'm actually going to school basically for that i'm doing like arts and entertainment management and like one of my classes this semester is how the entertainment industry works and i'm like great sign me up (laughs) like like, yeah like it's just it's fascinating to me just to like see all of these different things but anyways enough um sorry i get on tangents um when you find out about this class call me tell give me pointers (laughs) (laughs) of course of course anything um well, I want to know, like, okay, I know obviously, like, the homage to Ho- Hocus Pocus and everything like that, but, you know, you kind of have, like, these homages to Broadway as well. Like, you know, you the Sanderson sisters is, like, the Skyler sister and everything. Like, that was brilliant, you know? Like, I mean, what kind of triggered that? Like, what was that kind of thought process? I, that was kind of an easy one. We've been doing the Hamilton parody for probably three years now. Mm-hmm. Um so that was kind of like when Hamilton came out, I was like, well, we know we got to do a Sanderson sisters parody, you know? So <laughs> I, I wrote, I wrote the like live version of it a couple of years ago. And like my, my rapping is not so great. Like my, my like rhyme schemes weren't so like fresh. So I actually brought my, my friend Heath Saunders on board to help out with the virtual event. And he killed it. I mean, like his rewrites were so smart and funny yeah. Um, wildly, wildly good. Um, but yeah, probably is where I'm, I'm from. It's what I do. It's what I've studied. It's what I love. So I'm 
and it's a Broadway Cares event, right? So mm-hmm. even when you go to Broadway Bears, there's usually one very musical theater, like comedy based number, right? <laughs> so I want to make sure that I'm always having that be a part of what we do. But then also, I want to reach out to the kind of audience that might not know who Broadway is. And so throw a pop tune in there, throw a pop culture reference in there so that like the world outside of Broadway also feels included. Um, sure. But yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that. That's so fun. It was like, I was watching it and I was like, this is such a brilliant idea. Like in a way it's like so simple yet so complicated that it's just like, it, it just makes for perfect theater and like entertainment, you know? It was yeah, like well, high end. You can thank like, you can thank Lin Moan Miranda for that because he's the one that wrote the tune. So I just had to fair. fill in words, and Heath <laughs> filled in words. You know, <laughs> they gave us the scansion and the melody. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, did you have to like go through a process for that? Yeah, I actually had a writer's room for the virtual event last year. So it was me and like five or six other humans that would meet every single Friday for about an hour to two hours to really talk about okay, what is this virtual event? What is the through line? Who are our villains? What songs are we utilizing for each villain? So we started at the beginning of June um, and then wrote the show all the way up into September. Um, So we were meeting every week. Um, So I had geniuses kind of helping guide me um, the whole time. And then did you have to get like the rights for like, say like to do the Skylar sisters like music? But Absolutely. I learned wow. a whole lot about music rights working on the virtual event and sync licenses because a sync license is different than like a mechanical license. The mechanical license you need for the recording of it, the sync license you need for the recording of a video shoot. So it, a lot of it was um, kind of throwing myself oh my in like the deep end. And like at first, Katy Perry wouldn't give us uh, permission to use roar and like we had already right. shot the music video and like i was <laughs> freaking out that we'd spent all this time and money like featuring julia madison as carol baskin singing roar um and so i like found Katy perry's manager on instagram i like dm'd him i left him messages at his office and he finally got back to me and i like pled my case to Katy perry's manager he went to Katie, I like sent him the video and I was like, we already shot this. Like it would be really, you know, so having conversations with Katie Perry's manager and with Lady Gaga's manager and with <laughs> Lin-Manuel's assistant and like really pleading my case for Broadway Cares to use these songs of Doja Cat. I mean, her song was like tied up in a bunch of crazy stuff. Right. Like there was like, there was like exclusivity with the song and this movie that it appeared in. And like, I had to go all the way to the top of like, um, warner brothers to be like stop it i mean it it was it's wild the kind of journey that i went on with music rights on the show like i feel like i can do anything now (laughs) yeah literally i mean like did you kind of like know that going into it or is it like now that i've learned from that like this year i have to be like extra careful it was truly a learning process like i was like you know, I, I went in being like, well, this is for charity. Like, everyone's going to be on board. It'll be fine. <laughs> like, we're raising money for Broadway. Broadway's not happening right now. But, you know, th- there's so much money tied up in especially pop music. Um, yeah. The popular music um, in general. So um, it, it truly was like, a, oh, well, I guess maybe I should have thought about this before I shot the music videos, <laughs> you know. But yeah. 
I don't know. The way it went, the way that it happened, I mean, we literally got Doja Cat's people or the people who wrote that Doja Cat song to sign off on it 24 hours before the live stream. Like, oh it, my God. And Todrick wow. had already shot this, the video. Like, Todrick produced his own video in LA. And so he sent us the footage, like, fully edited. And then Doja Cat's people were like, no. And I was like, this is, we have 24 hours to make them say yes. Like it was, yeah. like we were in final edits of the show. We had two different edits of the show. One of them that had the Doja Cat song with Todrick and one that didn't. So we were just like waiting to see which one to give Broadway cares for like, I mean, it was truly oh some of like, I got no sleep that weekend. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Oh my God. That's insane. I can't, this is just like, this is mind blowing to me to like just listen to. It's just like, but it's so fascinating. That's why I, I love it. It's all very interesting, but it's all very. There's so much that goes into it that you just don't even realize. Um, anyways, I I would be remiss if I didn't talk to someone on the show uh, 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 without talking about their Broadway debut. So, um, your Broadway debut was Hair, right? And so, I mean, like you said, like you know, you you always wanted to be on Broadway and then here you are like you did it you you made it to Broadway in an original cast like talk to me about the emotions just with that production and just making your Broadway debut Ugh. I mean I remember I was out on tour with a chorus line when I first got a call from my agent being like they want to see you for hair for the understudy for Claude and I was like well I'm in Columbus Ohio or something like I don't <laughs> I wish I could come in but like I can't so after I left the tour, I came back to the city and they still hadn't found who they were looking They're, for. So oh, I lucked wow. out that they hadn't found that person. Um, so when I auditioned, um, I here's how it happened. I walked in and I looked a lot like Jonathan Groff, who'd played it at the Delacorte in right. Central Park. I often got stopped on the street um, by people. That is a like, huge thinking, compliment. <laughs> I know. I take it as a compliment for sure. So like back during like, back during like spring awakening times, people would be like, right. Oh my God, I loved you in spring awakening. I'd be like, thank you. <laughs> you know, right. So people really thought I was Jonathan Groff for a really long time. So me just walking in the room and kind of looking like the guy that had played the role previous to me, I think really helped my case. Right. Uh -huh. Cause a creative team was looking at the boy that they looked at for the whole summer that they did it in the park. So right. that worked in my favor. Um, and then I, you know, I sang a song that I've loved since I was in high school. Um, Why from Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, oh. That's the, that's the song I sang um, to get the role. Um, I remember making, I was like, Oh, well, this is a show about a bunch of hippies. So I just remember making really <laughs> odd choices, like sticking my tongue out on certain words of the scene that I was in. And I made like Jim Rado laugh because of a random wacky choice that I made in the audition. So yeah, uh, I, when I got it, it was like, Oh my God. I, and I cried for 10 minutes when I found out that I was cast as a swing and right. Claude's understudy. And then after the fact, I found out that Gavin Creel was playing clock so i was like yeah. wait hold on <laughs> wait you mean like my idol you mean like the guy <laughs> that i've always aspired to be is the one i'm understudying <laughs> so that was kind of mind-blowing and then to actually meet gavin creel and to fall deeply in love with him and to like have him show me what it was to be a leading man on stage and mm -hmm. off stage 
um, it was truly an education in what it meant to lead a company, um, not just artistically, but spiritually and energetically. And it was around the same time that we were fighting for marriage equality. And so we weren't just like living the life of like the protester hippies on stage. We were also going to rallies in Times Square and we were marching wow. in Washington for marriage equality and singing, let the sunshine in behind Lady Gaga in front of 30,000 people, you know? So it was really a movement. It, it right. felt like we were making change in the world in like 2009 in the same way that like that generation was making change in the world in 1969, you know? So um, I don't know. Uh, that's when like social change and art became like really important to me um, to always have that uh, at the forefront of everything that I did. And that was a lot to do with Gavin. Wow. That's incredible. Oh my God. Chills. Literally. Um, No, it's true. (laughs) Just like the, the impact that art can have on literally anyone and anything is just the pandemic has taught me that you know like like i mean everything it's just all so related yet we're not essential workers and we're not funded properly at all so that's interesting um it's very i think we should be considered essential to be completely honest you know i do too i I mean performance artists you know yeah i mean you saw everyone in the pandemic just like I mean, what did everyone do? They turned to music to calm them down. They turned to movies and TV shows to pass the time. I mean, like, right. they went to us, like, you know, like, in, in so many right. ways. And, like, I mean, just, I don't know. It, it's mind-blowing, but politics. Um, okay. Politics. <laughs> right. Um, so, okay, to, before I let you go, we have to talk about your 50 Before Below show because I am so excited for it. You're paying you're you're yeah, you're paying homage to your hometown in Texas. Um it's your birthday. Uh, how excited are you? Um is this like your first time like performing live uh, since the pandemic? Um no, I I've done a couple of smaller like solo cabaret kind of gigs like i did an outdoor thing upstate in saratoga last summer um i did a small little gig at like the friars club the other night with a piano but this is this is my first time um to like have a full band and to create a new show and to like really have fun with like my favorite lady singers again um so that's what's exciting and i've never done a country show you know, yeah. my, my first show I did at 54 Below was like so eclectic. It was like uh, about all of the music that I love. And I did country and I did R&B and I did musical theater and I did classical. And like I kind of ran the gambit of musical forms. Um, uh-huh. So now I'm kind of, you know, kind of like how Gaga did like her. What was it? Uh, not Joel. Was it Jolene? Was that? <laughs> was that? That album. The wrong person to ask. It's going well. It's going well. Sorry. Um, Great reference, Jay. Um, But I don't know. Now I want to kind of like start focusing in on all of these um, these genres that have meant so much to me, so I can do like a deep a deep dive and a deep study into what it means to like do a country show. So I'm I'm just excited. I I mean I thought if I wanted anything for my birthday, what would it be? And it would be to get on stage again and sing with my favorite people and have a live band behind me and share that experience with an audience so when 54 below reached out to me and said these are some dates we have open would you like to do a show i saw my birthday on there and i was like yeah i want to do a show on my birthday so 
that's kind of how that all came together. Oh my god, that's so cool. I didn't know if you did that on purpose or if that was kind of like all 54 Below was kind of offering. Yeah, it was kind of serendipitous in that way, you know? I mean, I think they gave me like a list of like 20 some odd dates and I literally saw my birthday. So oh I was like, god. you know, this, this country show that I've had in my head for so long, this that's what I should do. Let's go back to my roots. Let's go back home to 54 Below and... Let's invite all my two favorite lady singers, Amanda yes. Williams Ware and Allison Robinson, who are also my Sanderson sisters every year in the Halloween yes. show. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really really excited about it. And those that can't actually make it to find signs 54 below on September 1st can actually tune into the live stream because um, yes. it will be live streamed, which is very very cool. I was so excited that 54 below um, added me to to that part of what they're doing. Um, so, you know, if you're tuning into this and you live somewhere outside of the tri-state area, like tune into the live stream. I think it's only going to be like $15 to tune in on the night of. So yeah, totally. If you cannot make it, check out the live stream, but honestly, like it's so different in person, you know, like I've been watching some of the 54 below live streams and then I went to Antonio Cipriano's show at 54 below and I was just like, Oh my god, it's so much better live, <laughs> you know. Of like, course, it, it, it is also just like the the feeling of just like being in a room with live music again. It, it, right. It's just like something that we haven't experienced, so it's like life changing. Right. So if you can go to Fifty Four Below on September first, I highly recommend. And maybe you can meet <laughs> Jay and like so many other people and all of these wonderful. So many people will be there. I mean, it, you're you're incredible. You're a star. Um, uh, September first. At what time? Um, 9.30, I think, is showtime. So it's a kind of a late show. It's a Wednesday night. But come on out. It's going to be a rocking good time. Yeah. So check it out at 54 Below. Or you can watch it at the comfort of your bed or couch or chair, whatever you choose to <laughs> watch it on the live stream. Um, but Jay, thank you so much for, for joining me and just talking to me about everything that you have going on. It's so exciting. Um, I, di- I never asked, do you have like a date for Hocus Pocus as well? Yeah, we're still working on that. Um, okay. So we we don't have a date set quite yet. If we do the live show, it'll be a certain date. If we do another virtual event, it'll be a certain date. So stay tuned because that'll, yes. that'll all be coming to fruition in the next couple weeks. Amazing. Well, I'll make sure to keep everyone updated and keep plugging it. Um, but this cool. is so exciting. Everyone go check out 54 Below. Stay tuned for Hocus, uh, you know, Hocus Pocus. Oh my God, I put a spell on you. Um, it's just so similar. Um, and all of the amazing things. And drop your Instagram handle so you can follow, so everyone can follow you along. Yeah, you can follow me um, on Instagram at J underscore A underscore Johnson, just to make your life really difficult. I'm trying to Yay. find my Instagram handle. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Well, thank you so much again. It was so great to talk to you again. I know we talked you, like, briefly this, this earlier this week. Um, but yeah, it was yeah. great to see you. Um, and it's thank you for you doing too. this. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You're, you're, very, you're very good at this. Um, you should talk to <laughs> this. this was a really thank fun interview. You. Thank you. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you had fun. (laughs) Take a bow, Jay Armstrong Johnson. I cannot thank him enough for coming on this week's episode. I was so so, uh, happy when we were able to figure this out because this has kind of been in the works for a little bit. Um, And then his 54 Below show was coming out, and I've wanted him on forever. And his 54 Below concert was coming out, which is going to be on his birthday. So if you don't go celebrate with him, 
I just feel I just feel sorry for you because you should. And um, it's going to be amazing. And he's uber talented and you're going to have uh, an amazing night. And I, 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 want, I will be there and celebrating his birthday with him. And uh, it's going to be live stream. So even if you can't be there, like, it's okay. Because you can still be with there. And that's probably how I'm going to actually be able to do it, actually, on the live stream. So I hope to see you all on the live stream. And, uh, of course... Please, please, please watch out for I Put a Spell on You because I, I don't know if, I mean, if you're a real fan of the Broadway community, no offense to anyone who has not heard of it, but if you're a real fan of the Broadway community, you probably have heard of this because it's been such a huge deal over the past, like, two, three years. It's just gotten just so big, and um, I Put a Spell on You is going to be unforgettable yet again this year. And I will continue to keep you all updated if that's going to be on a virtual scale, if that's going to be um, on a uh, on a live theater, or if it's going to be both, you know, like his 54 Below show, where it's going to be like both in person and live stream for people who can't make it. But it's all to benefit Broadway Cares Equity Fights Age, which is all that really matters because he is not, he's spending his own money. He's taking his own time um away just like all you I, you guys heard him like everything that he has to do with the rights to songs and the locations and costumes and all of these things that he has to do to produce and star and write it and like it, it's just mind-boggling and this is all like he's not benefiting from any of this as far as like getting paid or doing whatever this is all going to a, a, a wonderful organization that has helped so many in the Broadway community. So if you can, please check out I Put a Spell on You. And please, uh, by doing that, you will be supporting Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. And hopefully you can donate if you are able to. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a wonderful thing. And all the things he had to say about On the Town and just kind of how he created it and, see, and talking about Newsies, how it was kind of just always a a dream of his to do that role and then of course the first reading and how it was kind of like he felt like a filler for um you know Jeremy Jordan just that that conversation there was so many conversations that I just loved it I just loved the flow of it I just loved um what he brought today and what he was so willing to share with everyone he was just so raw and so real and i think it made for a great episode and i i've been in that spot before and i'm glad that you know i'm not the only one it still stinks obviously and we still think about it um but you know it, it wasn't meant to be and there's something bigger and better out there and then he was able to do it on the town and then he was able to do it again you know he was able to do it at the muni and he was able to um kind of make history in it at the same time because it wasn't that traditional Jack Kelly role um, that Jeremy Jordan was able to play because J. Armstrong Johnson just has a range of uh, talents that uh, are, are also strengths of his and he was able to to do a few extra things and kind of highlight the character more and um, I, I just think it was all very interesting just to just to hear all about it so with that being said Thank you, Jay, for coming on and sharing so much. You you brought so much insight and you brought so much rawness that we were able to truly have a conversation that was open. And um, I think it opened 
a lot of people's eyes to just how the industry works, but also like what happens and kind of how we deal with things as actors. It's kind of been a theme the past two episodes, you know, with calling out and then this with dealing like, oh, this is kind of like my role, like Trevor, the greatest showman, like those things happen, you know, like those were kind of like our roles that we had helped create. And then all of a sudden we're not going to be able to do them for, for other reasons, you know, like that some some that we can't control and some that like it's like well how do we well actually all of them that we can't control because at the end of the day it's not our decision um and of course they obviously still love them because you they brought them back to do it at the muni so like there's just so many it's so it's this industry is so bizarre and there's so much to talk about about this interest industry um but it's like at, at what lengths you know um it's 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 a very difficult industry it's a very odd industry um so yeah just to just slowly um kind of hinting things in there and kind of working things out i think it uh really opens a light on a a lot of things that go on in the industry that people may not realize or understand and that's why like oh what's next is such a touchy topic you know for for actors and oh like I hope you get this role or whatever and kind of getting your hopes up and it's like you can't you can't please don't please don't because then I'm gonna do it and it's not gonna work out for some reason that none of us can control you know like there's just so many things about it in there yeah so it, it it's just such a bizarre industry and I'm glad that we have been able to to bring things up about it um in the past couple episodes and I think I'm gonna just continue to to ride that wave and see if I can um add things here and there in future episodes because I do think that it's something that needs to be talked about more and it's not something that is always talked about and kind of something that is dealt with uh that the actors kind of deal with alone and 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 that's no way to be because we all experience it so um that being said, that's a wrap on this week's episode. Uh, I know it was a little bit of a long one. There was a lot to talk about. Um, of course, Jay was a wonderful guest. And um, we have another wonderful guest. Uh, actually, next week's episode is going to be a really, really fun one because it's going to be a, a kind of medley episode like we did with the Pride medley. And I'm doing it again because that that episode did so well that I think I want to do it again. And that is going to be of the red carpet. So there's going to be so many, so many guests. It's not going to be just four guests kind of talking about their sexuality and whatnot. It's going to be so much more than that. And it's going to be a bunch of guests talking about the return of Broadway and kind of if they're going to be in an upcoming show, they're talking about that. And there's just so much to go into it. So I'm really excited to share it all with you. Um, I'm, I'm going to be like a narrator. It's going to be a very interesting podcast next week and um, I'm very excited for it and I know it's going to be another great one and I hope to see you there for it so stay tuned and uh, yeah I hope to see you next week thank you so much for listening bye everyone for this episode's curtain call I would like to recognize a few people who also deserve to take a bow this podcast would not be possible without the help from Dory Berenstein, Brittany Bigelow, Katie Rosen, Alan Seals, and the team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Next in line to take a bow is Tessie Tokash, who edits the audio and all the visuals for this podcast. A special thanks to patrons Brian Thompson, Pat McNamara, the listeners at PCC, as well as all of the other patrons for their continued support. If you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com TAB. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, don't forget to subscribe on the platform that you're currently listening to this on. Also, feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at TakeAboutPodcast. TakeAbout's logo is designed by Giselle Bustos, and the music is by Nikki Torsha and Cormac Collinon. Bye, everyone. Hope to see you next week.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.